Let us pray. God of grace, last week we saw ourselves as the disciples, confused and looking for the wrong thing. Before receiving a lesson about true service in the kingdom. This week, we see ourselves in the Jerusalem crowd, confused and looking for the wrong thing. Before receiving a lesson about your repetition in the kingdom, be with Pastor Steve and his words at this time that we might see ourselves aright in the kingdom today, that we might live for God, love our neighbors, and lead people to Christ. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, uh, we have the opportunity to head to Mark chapter 11. And, you know, this is typically a passage that we would be reading uh, the week before Easter. This is the passage that's often associated with Palm Sunday as Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem and the people celebrate him and claim him as king. I don't know if you know this, but we're a few weeks early, about eight, I think, eight weeks early, and our study of the Gospel of Mark is going to invite us into something. It's going to invite us into an opportunity to take what we would normally look at in one week between Palm Sunday and Easter and expand that through several months as we spend some diligent time looking at these passages of those days leading up to Christ offering himself as a sacrifice for the world and as Christ would later, three days later, rise from the dead. So we're going to head right into the text this morning. If you got a back, one of those black Bibles, it'll be page 823. If you have uh, students, if you have your Bible with you, it's going to be page 1,236, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some of the people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the, that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to. And when the people let them go, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut from the fields. 
Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest of heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Sometimes we repeat things over and over. We repeat things at times because of their importance. For example, we don't just do communion once in our time of knowing Christ. We don't even only do it once a year. Jesus said, do this basically every time you gather together, and and we interpret that about once a month. Because, Because this is important. It's an opportunity for us to remember. It's an opportunity to have something tactile that we touch, that we feel, that helps us remember of what Christ has done and what Christ will do. An opportunity to repeat the actions of the disciples as a way to remember and to know and also to experience the grace of Christ in our life. There's other things we repeat too. Palm Sunday typically comes around every year and and we typically sing songs declaring Jesus is the Messiah. Easter comes around every year and And the the passage for pastors to preach on is is just given to them, right? How odd would it be if you didn't preach on the resurrection of Christ on Easter? If you remember back, I've actually done that before. To point to something even greater than just the resurrection of Christ, it was the glory of his kingdom. We do things to repeat these stories. Every year... In November and December, we repeat something as well. We repeat the narrative of Christ's birth and Him coming. We repeat things that are important. That's why over and over and over again, parents will tell their children, don't touch the stove or don't touch the top of the stove, don't reach your hand in the oven and touch it when it's hot because it's something important that must be remembered. Other times, repetition can be pretty boring. I don't know if if you've had it, but when I was a student in college, even, even sometimes now, I sometimes feel like when I learn something, all the professor wants, and I'm sorry, Randy, uh, all the professor wants is a regurgitation of the information that they've been giving you. Just a, a repeating of whatever it is that they've said, and so you're sitting in a chair and you ferociously are taking down notes in the exact way that that professor wanted things said. Sometimes I had that experience when I was in seminary myself. 
a certain professor who's going to come preach here in a, in a few weeks. He always liked things, or in a few months, he always liked things worded in a specific way. Sometimes that felt like it was getting boring. It would almost felt like I was just parroting facts. You know what parrots do, right? Parrots don't really maybe learn language, but they repeat the words that they've heard. Just a, a repeating. And when we think about repeating, I find it so odd. Mark, he typically doesn't repeat himself. Well, we could say he did repeat himself when he talked about Jesus repeating himself three times to talk about how Jesus was planning on, on uh, experiencing torture from the teachers of the law and, and being handed over to them and then being put to death and rising from the dead. He repeated that three times. But here, in this passage where Jesus comes to Jerusalem, Half of the verses, almost half of the verses, are spent repeating these facts about a cult. Mark, who doesn't seem to repeat himself and is written the shortest gospel, and who moves from action to action, from the next thing to the next thing without any extras, felt the need to include some repetition right here. Mark, who's normally short to the point, expands it. You know, I don't know if he's repeating it for some sense of drama, repeating it to emphasize something, but apparently to Mark, the cult was important. Not only was the cult important, but where they were going to find the cult was important. Not only was the cult important or where they were going to find the cult, but also what they needed to say to the person so they could take the cult. We see an almost word-for-word repetition in these five verses of, of where to find the cult. Perhaps, perhaps Mark wanted to, to highlight Jesus' intention that Jesus was strategically planning this entrance into Jerusalem. Even if that was the case, I think I could have saved him some ink. We could have saved three verses and said, you know, this is the way Jesus said it was going to be. And it was so. And yet he repeats it again. And I think that's because he wanted to get in the mind of, of the people who were reading that there was some more repetition going on. Some repetition of some imagery that we would have found in the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 9, says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
on a foal of the donkey. We see that Mark's repetition and the focus on the colt and where to find it is so that people remember the repetition of images that they've perhaps heard in the past. That Jesus himself is orchestrating this grand entrance in Jerusalem, which is much different than most of the things that Jesus chose to do up until this point. Jesus, in this passage, is announcing in a great and glorious and grand entrance, and yet all other places, Jesus didn't want to draw attention to himself. In multiple places, Jesus told impure spirits. He told people that he had healed. He told even the family of a child that he raised from the dead. Not to speak of what has happened or what he had done. Most other places, Jesus was working to to cause the attention to to go away so people wouldn't maybe know exactly who he was. But Jesus' miracles and his teachings were were so great that it was kind of hard to keep a low profile. And now now he says, I'm not going to keep a low profile anymore. I'm going to enter Jerusalem in a way where, where people will notice. Jesus is encouraging. Encouraging people by, by what they see and what they experience and, and what they know to have happened in the past and, and by what they know will come with the, the coming kingdom that is to to be that they're to celebrate. And Jesus chooses a specific time period, a specific time period that for the Israelites was repeated every year. He chose the the time that was leading up to the Passover, the the Passover, the the time where, where people remembered what their ancestors had gone through. The time where the people remembered that they had been freed from slavery. The time where the people remembered that Egypt was no longer controlling their destiny, but the Lord brought them out of Egypt, and the Lord has restored them to be a nation on their own. And so Jesus encourages the the public rejoicing as they celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. And the people were celebrating, looking forward to their deliverance from Rome. And the disciples, when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it and sat on it. Another repetition of an image that we find in the Old Testament. Another nod to the history. In 2 Kings, when Jehu was declared anointed king, this is what happened. 
they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. They blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. The disciples sense perhaps what is happening. They had been perhaps thinking about greatness early on and they had been thinking about how this trip to Jerusalem was like a march to Zion, a march to the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, and they saw that this was happening during the time when they celebrated the deliverance from Egypt, and so they too took their cloaks and put them under Jesus, on top of the colt, the colt that their king was riding into Jerusalem. Everyone was already prepared to to celebrate a delivering God. And now in front of them they see the images of the Old Testament happening right before their eyes. The cloaks underneath a king. The king riding a colt. And because it's the Passover, people from all over are are journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem. They're pilgrimaging to to get to Jerusalem to be a part of the, the big remembrance celebration that would happen as they remembered their delivering king, their delivering God, and they see this delivering king coming. These people that feel that they're oppressed by the Roman Empire now see that their king, who is going to deliver them from the Romans, is riding on this colt to Jerusalem. And the people are ready. The people are ready for for God to do what he had said in the past that he would do. The people are ready for the great hope of freedom and liberation to be true for them in that day. And so they too begin to spread their cloaks on the road. Others cutting branches from the field. In this passage it doesn't necessarily say palm branches, but this traveling crowd gets caught up in the excitement of what is happening. And they get caught up doing things that you don't do for normal people. They were things that you only did for the king. They were things you only did for the coming king that you knew was royal. The repeat of what happened hundreds of years earlier. About 200 years before this, it's recorded that the people gathered in the streets waving ivy and palm branches and singing songs of praise. Because it was about 200 years earlier that the people of Israel were delivered from the Syrian king For the Syrian king had been overthrown and the temple was going to be built and they had a new king and a new kingdom that was happening and it was going to be a royal reception of that new king. 
And so now they repeat what they had done before. They repeat the yelling of Hosanna. They repeat the words essentially partly from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom, the coming kingdom of our father David. We see that this beginning portion of chapter 11 is is a repetition of so many things. Repetitions of finding a cult. Repetitions of Old Testament prophecy. Repetitions of previous celebrations that they've had for royalty. And now repetitions of Psalm 118. Used to talk about the salvation of the Lord that is coming. Repetition that Jesus, Jesus is bringing the coming kingdom of our father David. Which is yet another repetition. For it was just a few verses earlier that the blind man Bartimaeus said, Son of David, to Jesus. Son of David, heal me. The readers of Mark would have recognized Jesus as the son of David. And and now all of the people who are journeying to Jerusalem are recognizing that same thing, that Jesus is in the lineage of David. That Jesus is going to bring salvation to them. Yet, in what for them is only a few short days, the one that they make out to be the hero, the one that they make out to be the coming king, the one that they say is bringing the kingdom of David to realization right then and there, will be rejected. The same mouths that uttered the word Hosanna will mouth the words crucify him. And yet, It is not that triumphal entry that we read about today and that we celebrate every year that is what brings salvation. For it was necessary that the same people who shouted Hosanna needed to shout, crucify him. For it's that rejection which would bring salvation to people. This whole entrance seems like it's leading to something great. Jesus emphasizing the cult. Jesus sitting on top of cloaks and walking over cloaks and people shouting Hosanna. And one of the odd things is how this section ends. Jesus gets to Jerusalem. He gets to the temple courts. 
He looks around, thinks that it's a little late, and decides to leave. People were perhaps looking for something great, and it seems like there was all this lead-up, and a lead-up for what? Nothing. He looks around, thinks it's time for bed perhaps, and goes back to Bethany, which if you remember is basically the place he started out at, just outside of Bethany. All this excitement, all this repetition, repetition of the cult, repetition of the imagery of the Old Testament, repetition of identifying Jesus with David, for what? To leave the temple. But what it does do is set up what Jesus' actions are going to be for the next several days. Jesus is going to repeatedly head to the temple. He's going to return to the temple the next day. You know, Jesus, he isn't going to be coming as a tourist, though. He isn't going to be coming that's going to be returning and be dazzled by how the temple looks. He isn't going to be focusing on the marble or the giant stones or the accoutrements or any of the beautiful things that he sees. He isn't even coming to offer prayers. He comes to the temple as one who desires to refine the people. He comes to the temple as one who desires to renew it and bring it back to its original and intended purpose. And that's what we see repeated all through Scripture. God who desires to renew His creation. A God who desires to reorient His people. doesn't matter how many times they go astray and they start looking in a different direction or living in a way that's contrary to the justice He had desired. The Lord continues to, to reach out to His people desiring that they be renewed and restored that they be brought back into the fold and, and brought forward in the purposes that he had originally set forth. God will continue to refine their domesticated and trivialized commitment. The commitment that yells Hosanna and crucify him within the same week. And God so much desires that, that he repeats his grace over and over and over so that we, as well as others we know, as well as those who have gone before us and those who will come after us, will be transformed 
more and more into the image of Christ. You see, contrary to what the people thought in this passage, God does not bring salvation through the sending of military armies into bloody battles. God did not bring salvation by becoming a powerful political leader. Instead, God brought salvation by Jesus in humility, in his willingness to give up his life, not only for the salvation of people, but the salvation of all of creation. So that people can be saved by petty nationalism that divides the world and nations into tiny enclaves seeking out war. So that all people can be saved from foolish expectations leading to their own glory. So that all people can be saved from a need to prove themselves and their worth to others. So that all people can be saved from the use of Scripture for their own selfish purposes. So that all people can be saved from moments like we see in the book of Mark. Moments where praise of God and rejection of God come from the same mouth. Jesus comes so that all all creation, too, can experience things being made right. In the book of Revelation, we hear about lions and lambs lying down next to one another. We hear about new streams of, of living water that come from places where water typically doesn't flow. We hear about one who is king, one who is Lord not only of parts, but all creation, all stemming from his self-given sacrifice for the world. That makes me wonder, where in my life? Where in my life is God calling me to remember what he saved me from? So, Sammy, where is, where is God calling you? Where is God calling you to remember the salvation that he's given you? Maybe it's certain ways that we think. Maybe it's certain times where we we talk in ways that we don't intend to. We can remember that Jesus saved us from that. And he gave you the power of the Spirit. That the Spirit would then empower us to live in new ways. Being more and more conformed 
to the image of Christ each and every day that we live. Let's pray and thank God for his salvation and the empowerment of his spirit in our lives. Father, we pray that your spirit would bring to light those areas where our mouths praise you and reject you within days or hours. Bring to mind those corners of our life that we like to claim as our own. Those aspects of life where we desire to, to seek glory for ourselves instead of desiring you be glorified. Help us to rest in the forgiveness that you give us. And help us to be ready to receive and be empowered by the Spirit in the way we live the rest of today and all our days to come. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As we uh, prepare to receive the offering this morning, uh, let us join our voices as we sing this doxology taken from Romans 11. 